Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed. Journalists, independent investigators, people like that disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times. Each of those three showed evasions. His resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world, and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned that described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Now the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, also known as the Anesthetic Prowler, Phantom Anesthetist, or simply the Mad Gasser, was the name given to the personal people believed to be responsible for a series of apparent gas attacks that occurred in Mattoon, Illinois during the mid-1940s. More than two dozen separate cases of gassings were reported to the police over the span of two weeks, in addition to many more reported sightings of the suspected assailant. The gas's supposed victims reported smelling strange odours in their homes, which were soon followed by symptoms such as paralysis of the legs, coughing, nausea, and vomiting. No one died or had serious medical consequences as a result of the gas attack. Police remained sceptical of the accounts throughout the entire incident. Many reported gassings had simple explanations, such as spilled nail polish or odours emanating from animal or local factories. Victims made quick recoveries from their symptoms and suffered no long-term effects. Nevertheless, local newspapers ran alarmist articles about the reported attacks and treated the accounts as fact. The attacks are widely considered to be a case of mass hysteria, however others maintain that the mad gasser actually existed or that the perceived attacks have another explanation such as industrial pollution. Now we get into the appearance of this gasser. Most contemporary descriptions of the Mad Gasser are based on the testimony of Mr. and Mrs. Bert Kearney of 1408 Marshall Avenue, the victims of the first Mattoon case to be reported by the media. They describe the Gasser as being a tall, thin man dressed in dark clothing and wearing a tight-fitting cap. Another report made some weeks later described the Gasser as being a female dressed as a man. The Gasser had also been described as carrying a flit gun, an agricultural tool for spraying pesticide, which he purposely used to expel the gas. Now we get into the reported attacks of the Mad Gasser. The first of the 1944 Gasser incidents occurred at a house on Grant Avenue, Mattoon, on August 31st of 1944. Urban Rafe was awakened during the early hours of the morning by a strange odour. He felt nauseated and weak and suffered from a fit of vomiting. Suspecting that he was suffering from domestic gas poisoning, Rafe's wife tried to check the kitchen stove to see if there was a problem with the pilot light, but found that she was partially paralysed and unable to leave her bed. Later that night, and some contemporary accounts refer to the time as the morning of the following day, a similar incident was also reported by a young mother living close by. She was awakened by the sound of her daughter coughing, but found herself unable to leave her bed. 
The next day, September 1st, there was a third reported incident. Align Kearney of Marshall Avenue Mattoon, who I spoke of before, reported smelling a strong sweet odour around 11pm. At first she dismissed the smell, believing it to be from flowers outside of the window, but the odour soon became stronger and she began to lose feeling in her legs. Kearney panicked and her calls attracted her sister, Mrs. Reedy, who was in the house at the time. Mrs. Reedy also noticed the odour and determined that it was coming from the direction of the bedroom window, which was open at the time. The police were contacted but no evidence of a prowler was ever found. At around 12.30am, Bert Kearney, Aline Kearney's husband, a local taxi driver who had been absent during the time of the attack, returned home to find an unidentified man hiding close to one of the house's windows. Now, the man fled and Kearney was unable to catch him. Kearney's description of the prowler was of a tall man dressed in dark clothing wearing a tight-fitting cap. This description was reported in the local media and became the common description of the gases throughout the Mattoon incident. After the attack, a lion Kearney reported suffering from a burning sensation on her lips and throat, which were attributed to the effects of the gas. Initially, it was suspected that robbery was the primary motive for the attack. At the time of the incidents, the Kearneys had a large sum of money in the house, and it was surmised that the prowler could have seen Aline Kearney and her sister counting it earlier that evening. Local newspapers incorrectly reported this incident as being the first gasser attack. In the days following the Kearney attack, there were a half dozen similar attacks, though none of the purported victims were able to provide a clear description of the prowler, and no clues were found at the scene of the attacks. The first specimen of physical evidence was found on the night of September 5th when Carl and Bueller Quarters of North 21st Street returned home at around 10pm. After spending a few minutes in the house, they noticed a piece of white cloth, slightly larger than a man's handkerchief, sitting on their porch next to the screen door. Bueller Quarters picked up the cloth and smelled it. As soon as she inhaled, she became violently ill. She described the effect as being similar to an electric shock. Her face quickly began to swell and she experienced a burning sensation in her mouth and throat and began to vomit. As with other victims, she also reported feeling weak and experiencing partial paralysis of her legs. Beulah Cordes later hypothesized that the cloth had been left on the porch in order to knock out the family dog, which usually slept there so that the prowler could gain access to the house unnoticed. In addition to the cloth, weirdly enough, a skeleton key described as looking well used was reportedly found on the sidewalk adjacent to the porch, along with a large, almost empty tube of lipstick. The cloth was analysed by the authorities, but they found no chemicals on it that could explain Beulah Corder's reaction, which is really weird. The same night, a second incident was reported, this time in North 13th Street, at the home of Mrs. Leonard Burrell. She reported seeing a stranger break in through a bedroom window and then attempt to gas her. As dozens of reports of the mad gasser continued to come in, panic set in across Mattoon. Roving bands of townspeople armed with shotguns and pistols stalked the community at night. Women carried bats and clubs whenever leaving the house, and residents began staying with friends rather than sleeping alone, and state investigators arrived to aid in the search. One week after news of the alleged gassings began to spread, the editorial staff of the Journal Gazette strongly criticised city officials' handling of the case. In addition to writing that the community's police force was understaffed by half, the newspaper's editorial board claimed that political infighting had hampered this and other investigations. Public concern over the alleged gassings quickly arose. The FBI became involved and the local police issued a statement calling on residents to avoid lingering in residential areas and warning that groups set up to patrol for the gasser should be disbanded for reasons of public safety. Chief of Police C.E. Cole also warned concerned citizens to exercise due restraint when carrying or discharging firearms. 
During this period, there was also an increase in physical evidence of attacks being reported, ranging from footprints allegedly discovered underneath windows to tears being found in window screens. By September 12th, local police had received so many false alarms, mostly from citizens believing that they smelled gas or that they'd seen a prowler, that they reduced the priority afforded to gasser reports and announced that the entire incident was likely the result of explainable occurrences, exacerbated by public fears and a sign of the anxiety felt by women while local men were on war service. After the police announcement, Gasser reports declined. The only incident of arguable note after that date was the case of Bertha Birch, who claimed she saw a Gasser who was a woman dressed as a man. Now we come to explanations of this case. There are three primary theories about the Mattoon Mad Gasser incident, mass hysteria, industrial pollution, or an actual physical assailant. The events have also been written about by authors on the paranormal. First we have mass hysteria. Almost two weeks after the Mattoon attacks began, the local commissioner of public health, Thomas V. Wright, announced that there had undoubtedly been a number of gassing incidents, but that many instances were likely due to hysteria, residents hearing of alarming events and then panicking when confronted by an out-of-place odour or shadow at the window. Wright stated, and I quote, There is no doubt that a gas maniac exists and has made a number of attacks, but many of the reported attacks are nothing more than hysteria. Fear of the gas man is entirely out of the proportion to the men of the relatively harmless gas he is spraying. The whole town is sick with hysteria. End quote. On the 12th of September, local chief of police C.E. Cole took Wright's hypothesis a step further, announcing that there had likely been no gas attacks at all, and that the reported incidents had probably been triggered by chemicals carried on the wind from nearby industrial facilities and then exacerbated by public panic. Wright and Cole's diagnosis was further given validity in 1945 when the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology published The Phantom Anaesthetist of Mattoon, a field study of mass hysteria by Donald M. Johnson, which documented the Mattoon incident as a case study in mass hysteria. In 1959, his opinion was seconded by psychologist James P. Chaplin and went on to form the basis for several subsequent studies of the phenomena of mass hysteria. Most of the physical symptoms recorded during the Beauchort and Mattoon incidents, including choking, swelling of mucous membranes, and weakness, temporary paralysis, have all been suggested symptoms of hysteria. Some experts believe that the mass hysteria was fueled by the headlines in the Mattoon Journal Gazette, Mrs. Kearney and Daughter First Victims, which assumed there would be more attacks. Now we come to the second explanation, which is toxic waste or pollution. On September 12th, Chief of Police Cole told a press conference that odours and symptoms reported may have been the result of pollutants or toxic waste released by nearby industrial plants and speculated that, and I'm going to butcher these names, that carbon tetrachloride or trichloromethane, both of which have a sweet odour and can induce symptoms similar to those reported by purported gas victims, may have been the substance released. In response to Cole's statement, Atlas Imperial, the primary company implicated in the affair, released a statement of its own saying that their facility had only five gallons of carbon, I'm going to butcher this name, tetrachloride in stock, which was contained in firefighting equipment. Atlas Imperial officials also denied that any qualities of trichlorethene, an industrial solvent used by Atlas, could be responsible for sickness in the town, reasoning that it would have taken significant quantities of the chemical to sicken the townspeople, and that factory workers would have experienced similar symptoms long before anybody outside of the factory was affected. At the time of the gassing, the Atlas plant had been certified as safe by the State Department of Health. Now we come to the third explanation, which was there was an actual assailant. 
After analysing events, some researchers have concluded that at least some of the gasser incidents were the work of an actual attacker who carried out a series of gassings as reported by witnesses. As an entire community sought a culprit, staff at the Journal Gazette wrote, quote, There are two principal reasons why he was not caught. One is that our police failed to take the case seriously enough at first. The other is that when the police finally decided there was something to it, mass hysteria and outside interference combined to make their efforts unsuccessful. There is also other suggestions. Some writers on the paranormal have covered the event. Clark, 1993, describes an illustration of the gasser from Lauren Coleman's Mysterious America. The artist depicts him as a not-quite-human, possibly extraterrestrial being. To this day, nobody has ever been able to figure out whether this person actually existed or whether there is an actual plausible explanation for what happened. To this day, this case remains unresolved. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions that still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time, next on Unanswered Questions. The man in the iron mask who died on the 19th of November 1703 was an unidentified prisoner of state arrested in July of 1669 under the pseudonym of Eustachie Dauger.